Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. I am Noel T. Manning the second here, hanging out with you, talking with Thomas Manning, right over there as well. Uh, we're we're going to talk cinema because we can, because we can. Uh, I do want to start out with uh, some uh, non-viewer mail. Uh, there was some non-viewer mail. Uh, if you if you uh, regularly watch this show, uh, you uh, may have called an episode where we talked about James Caan. We talked about some of our favorite James Caan uh, films and, uh, and and things that we thought he should be remembered for. Well, non-viewer Mel came, Thomas, and it said we forgot to talk about one of his greatest uh, films where he was stuck in a bed for like 98% of the film called Misery. Uh, and Kathy Bates was in there. It was one of those really a demanding kind of role for him in a lot of different ways. So... I will mention that on the air, but I will say this. We actually did talk about Misery, but uh, Greg Tillman, our, our producer, put that on the cutting room floor. So uh, it, okay. it did not make yeah. the final cut. Did not make the okay, final cut. Okay, because I was thinking, I was thinking I vividly remembered you mentioning Misery, but uh, <laughs> so blame blame it on the editor there. All right. That's exactly right. We'll, bring, we'll blame it on the editor uh, and our producer and director, uh, Mr. Uh, Greg Gregory uh, W. Tillman. But yes, uh, Misery with James Kahn, uh, well worth one checking out. Uh, well, Thomas, uh, we are kind of approaching the last few weeks of summer, and we've had some interesting things to talk about uh, this summer uh, at the box office as we're getting back to people coming back into theaters, movies, making some money. Uh, one uh, that, that I've been looking forward to, and i got to tell you, I've been binging on a lot of other things other than movies and theaters recently. So, so Thomas is going to kind of run the ship, and I'm I'm letting him steer. Uh, I'm just going to kind of direct him, and and we'll let it roll from there. But Bullet Train uh, is one that I've really been looking forward to for for quite a while, and so uh, by the time this airs, I will probably have checked that out. So, uh, Thomas, uh, th- this is a, a an ensemble uh, action assassin laden film. Uh, at the helm, we got we got a pretty well dressed Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, well, the way you were setting me up there, I'm surprised you didn't use a train analogy or a train metaphor. You know, you just you said steer the ship, but where's a where's conduct the train? Like, come exactly. on, major missed opportunity. Oh man, yes. dang it! Oh man, dang it! Oh, I need I need some more uh, I need some more uh, hot hot tea. That's, yeah, it's exactly what you need. Ah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so, so we are talking about are talking about Bullet Train, and right off the bat, I'll clarify that I'm not familiar with the source material here. It's adapted from a Japanese novel titled uh, Maria Beetle, which was written by Kataro Asaka. So, I can't really judge this film on whether or not it's a faithful adaptation. I'm, I'm just really just coming into this fresh, probably like the majority of American audiences watching this one. Um, so, with that being said. I thought this was absolutely terrific. Uh, it's directed by David Leach. He co-directed the first John Wick movie. 
He also directed Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. Uh, that there's a there's an action sequence in Atomic Blonde. It's like a ten minute, you know, one take. That's one of the most impressive uh, action scenes just of that nature that I've ever seen. Uh, he also directed Deadpool two and he directed Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, but he began his career as a stuntman. He collaborated with the likes of Jean Claude Van Damme and also Brad Pitt, who was the leading man in Bullet Train. Um, so with this cast, you have Brad Pitt, you also have Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, Andrew Koji, and Hiroyuki Sonata, and there are a couple of other all-star cameos as well. Uh, and what you saw from the trailer of this movie definitely gives you all of that and then some. It's kind of a glossy and gimmicky action comedy, but I said it as a, comp as a compliment. You know, everything visually is highly exaggerated. And you know, the way, as I kind of reflected on it more, it's almost like a Tarantino action movie that's filtered through the lens of 2022 pop culture, you know, rather than the early 2000s filter of Kill Bill. Now, I'm not saying this is as well-directed as Kill Bill, but David Leach continues to prove himself as a very formidable force in contemporary action filmmaking. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, I was surprised by this at least, it's very philosophically engaging. Um, it asks questions of fate and destiny, and it talks wow. about talks about the chaotic variables of intimate daily life, but also that kind of contrasted against the infinite universe. And also just talks about how the tap, yeah, yeah, yep. When you watch it, you'll see what I mean. Um, and it also just talks about how the tapestry of any individual's complex life can also affect the threads that are running parallel in another's complex life. So all of that wow. in this uh, in this crazy action movie about assassins trapped together on a train trying to kill each other. So Wow. I mean, that, that's some really deep thoughts, man. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd love to talk to uh, our, our buddy, the uh, philosophy master, uh, Mr. Douglas Davidson, because I'm sure that he would have tons to say about that aspect of things. So were those uh, themes uh, and and that that really depth that you found? Did you, did you find that uh, unexpected? Uh, is that not what you expected when you went in? Yeah, I found that very unexpected, but it was a pleasant surprise. Um, I mean, really, the opening five minutes kind of set that set that tone um, and that is kind of intertwined with the part of the, another part of the story that I wasn't expecting. It's a father son story in many ways. Um, and the heart of the story is uh, the family. You have Hiroyuki Sonata's character and then Andrew Koji's character. Uh, so Koji basically plays uh, Sonata's son and um, you know, they have some you know, family history and connected to um, you know, certain um, empires of old and um, you know empires that have risen in their places um, but you know all of that there's there's basically uh, there's one quote in the first five minutes and it's something along the lines of you can never know what sort of bad fates that your bad luck has saved you from that um, there there's probably something even worse out there that you know, what you might think right now is a bad situation or is bad luck. Uh, you know, something it probably saved you from something else that's even worse. So wow. that kind of thing is really one of the uh, the main, you know, philosophical through lines in the film. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, bullet Train, 
uh, in theaters now, and uh, it is definitely drawing uh, drawing some audiences. Uh, any final thoughts or comments before you give your grade for this? Uh, so I'll say makes great use of needle drops and soundtrack, uh, and we saw that even from the trailer as well. And uh, I'll, I'll say I went into it and got pretty much everything I was expecting and then some. Um, I did think one of the drawbacks, one of the minor drawbacks was in the last last act of the movie, there were multiple false endings where I was like, okay, this is where it's going to wrap up. This is where they're going to put a bow on it. But then there were, you know, one more set piece, one more action scene. Uh, and it did that a few times, which kind of, you know, detracted a few points, but still overall I'm sitting at a solid B plus for Bullet Train and uh, would definitely recommend it for action fans out there. Okay, Bullet Train, a B plus uh, in theaters now and uh, starring Brad Pitt and a few others. And uh, Thomas, really appreciate your uh, your really deep, deep thoughts. I mean, I, I go back to Jack Handy on, on SNL sharing some of those deep thoughts uh, like, you know, it takes a big man to cry, but it takes a bigger man to laugh at that man. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you're sharing with me through uh, this thoughtful uh, critique of Bullet Train, uh, which is in theaters now. All right, Thomas, uh, I, I want to share about another loss. Um, we talked about James Kahn a few weeks ago when uh, Olivia Newton-John uh, passed away. And Olivia, I was first introduced to her uh, back when I was a kid um, through music. Uh, my mom uh, worked at a radio station and uh, she would bring home these demos of, of albums that were being released. And that was kind of my first introduction to Olivia Newton-John from a music standpoint. And uh, I always really felt like she was kind of America's sweetheart, this girl next door. Uh, and that's the vibe I got, got from her. And uh, when I first got a chance to see her in 1978 on screen uh, in a film called Grease, it, it really blew me away who she was and kind of re-intensified why I liked her and those um, labels that I m might have put on her. She did go on to star in other films uh, and TV shows throughout the years, but we, uh, we lost her uh, not too long ago. And uh, she'd been battling uh, cancer for a number of years, but I'll tell you what, uh, anybody who had a chance to engage with her, whether it was through music or through film or even television, uh, had that kind of same experience. It was almost as if it was someone you knew or someone that you wanted to know and spend time with. So uh, Olivia Newton-John, uh, go-to film, uh, absolutely, is Grease from 1978. Now, she was uh, in Sharknado 5 as well, uh, and a few others, uh, like Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2. Um, uh, she was in Glee, uh, two of a kind in Xanadu, but... Uh, Go back and watch Grease and listen to her music to really get a chance to appreciate just what a talent she was. So uh, farewell to Olivia Newton-John. All right, Thomas, any thoughts you want to share about Olivia uh, before we move on to the next uh, to the next film? Yes, yeah, so to be perfectly honest, I'm not very familiar with a lot of her work, uh, whether that be in film or music, but at the same time, she is someone who has become such a staple in pop culture that it's it was almost impossible for me to like not hear the name or not be familiar with her in some capacity. I think one of the first memories I have hearing the name of Olivia Newton-John was actually watching Psych 
and uh, having, you know, Psych was known for so many pop culture references and 70s and 80s pop culture references. And, uh, you know, our Sean Spencer, uh, I believe you mentioned Olivia Newton-John on multiple occasions. And uh, it's, you know, it's such a it's such a unique name, too, and that kind of stuck with me. Um, but, you know, at obviously at this point, um, you know, seeing um, seeing how many people have been you know moved by her and just the legacy she's left it's uh gonna inspire me to go back and take a look at her filmography and her uh discography as well and uh so you know it's definitely a tough loss and uh you know 73 years of age she had a uh, just wonderful just beauty-filled life and uh you know it's always always sad to see someone go like that Yep, well-loved and well-liked, Olivia Newton-John. Uh, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick intermission uh, right here on Meet Me in the Movies, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a franchise film prequel um, that uh, you may be familiar with. If you remember back in 1987, uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger uh, introduced us to a, a franchise called The Predator. So uh, there's a prequel to even that. So we're going to talk about that right after this quick intermission on Meet Me at the Movies. I'm Gold Team Man in the Second with Thomas Manick. Guess mine is not the first heartbroken My eyes are not the first to cry I'm not the first to know There's just no getting over you Hi, I'm Tim Foster from C19 TV. Hi, I'm Fuvio Brooks from C19 Sports. I'm Rob Brute from KTCBroadcasting.com. Join us for our 20th anniversary of Armchair Quarterback on C19 TV. What's in store on the gridiron in 2022? Every week, we will look at all four Cleveland County High School football teams. Conference foes Burns and Shelby and conference foes Crest and Kings Mountain. We will look at what happened the week before and look ahead at what's coming up this week. We will also break down ACC, SEC, and Gardner Web football. And the entire NFL and, of course, the Carolina Panthers. Nobody covers Cleveland County High School football like armchair quarterback. Don't miss another great season on C19 or online at C19.tv. There are so many positive things that are happening in Cleveland County. It's too hard to keep up with, and that's what Community Spotlight is all about. Hi, I'm Tyra Silvers, and I'd love for you to join me every other week right here on C19 TV, where we learn about the good folks and organizations that make our county such a special place. So drop in on us at Community Spotlight, only on C19 TV and online at C19.tv. Welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Man in the second here with Thomas Manning. And Thomas, as we were going to the break, I don't know if our uh, if our audience got a chance to see this or not, but you were in the dark. Did, did you lose power? What, what the heck was that all about? Well, I'll just say that our studio setup that we have here, we're working with sometimes uh, – we don't always have as much privacy as we would in a, you know, studio like, well, C-19 studios or something like that. So sometimes uh, we have outside forces that come into play that kind of forget that there's a that there's a studio production going on in, in this little dark corner over here. So, you know, it's, well, we'll, ju we'll just leave it at that. 
So, so could we say Hurricane Catherine came through? Is, is that is that appropriate? Uh, yeah, I would say that's appropriate. Correct. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm glad Hurricane Catherine didn't blow through this way and, and destroy any chaos uh, or cause any chaos uh, on my end. Uh, well, uh, before the break, I gave you a little bit of a tease for a, a franchise film that we're going to talk about. Uh, the Predator franchise started back in 1987 with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was incredibly successful uh, and spawned uh, sequels and even crossover films uh, between uh, 1987 and 2018. There were several Predator films. They tried to reboot it just a few years ago with Jacob Tremblay uh, back in 2018. Uh, and the crossover series I talked about were crossover films uh, with Alien uh, and Aliens. Uh, but now we have a prequel, Thomas, uh, that is not on the big screen, but but folks at home can check this out if they have, is it Hulu, that they can find this film called Prey? That's right. It's on Hulu, and it is, uh, Hulu actually said it's like their biggest premiere ever for an original film coming to their service. So uh, it's definitely finding an audience. And this one is directed by Dan Trackenberg. And it's only his second feature film. His other one was 10 Cloverfield Lane with John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which that that's a movie that is universally beloved and rightfully so. Um, talk about an incredible just suspense thriller that um, has a way to capture tension and like maintain this this line of tension for an entire like hundred minute runtime. Ten Cloverfield Lane is a masterpiece. Seek that out if you haven't. Um, but I'll say, you know, Dan Trachtenberg, he's so ridiculously great at extracting every little bit of storytelling potential from a physical location. You know, whether that be the post-apocalyptic underground bunker in Ten Cloverfield Lane, or in the case of Prey, this is the Great Plains in, in 1719. Um, and it's it's a very gnarly movie. Uh, I think gnarly is the best way that I can describe this one. Uh, so I've only seen the original uh, Predator film from 1987, the uh, directed by John McTiernan and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, as you alluded to. So I haven't seen the other prequels and sequels, and I can't really comment how this stacks up with those. But I do know that this holds its own in comparison to the original in uh, in many aspects. No, so uh, holding its own, how does it hold its own? And, and I think it's, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane, you and I both just kind of blown away by by that film. And it's hard to believe that this, that director uh, has only directed two when you when you throw this from the mix because of the, just the impact that, that Cloverfield Lane had. So so talk about the impact of this film and, and how, how you feel it holds its own. Yeah, so this is a different type of Predator film. You know, the original is one of the most stereotypical 80s macho action star movies of all time. You know, you look at the handshake between Arnold and Carl Weathers. That has been turned in like to one of the most used gifts of all time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one is much more scaled back and a character drama in uh, many, many senses. So... Uh, the actress Amber Midthunder, she's a Native American actress. She plays Naru, who is a young Comanche warrior, and she goes up against the Predator. And it's a very empowering character, very empowering performance. And in a in a certain way, it's almost a coming of age story. But I will say the trial by which she has to you know come of age 
probably the most challenging coming of age trial in, in cinematic history. <laughs> so, <laughs> so is it is it is it worse than what you had to go through when you were uh, when you were younger? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, there's you know, I this is this isn't like your Breakfast Club coming of age movie or your Edge of Seven <laughs> okay. Edge of Seventeen. This is like you know, um, not many of us have had to fight an alien from you know somewhere off of the intergalactic universe with our with our tomahawks and bows and arrows against whatever kind right. of advanced technology he has. That isn't something that most of us have had to go through. <laughs> so. Exactly. You know, maybe Hawkeye, Chingakachuk, or, or, or Uncas from Last of the Mohicans, but but uh, but a young talent who's who's not really been tested in the world. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so as I mentioned, the adjective gnarly to describe this. So our protagonist, she's using frontier weapons like your tomahawks and your bear traps. But more than anything, she's using her wit and her intellect. And this creature is literally there just hunting for sport. He's basically on vacation uh, out here just picking off uh, picking off what he thinks is the worthy, the worthy hunt, the worthy prey. Um, and, you know, that's where she really has to you know, come into her own and, uh, you know, it almost works to her advantage that... Um, I think everybody in the film underestimates her, whether that be some of her uh, family, some of her tribe, but also um, the, her, her enemy. And uh, she finds a way to take that uh, underestimation and turn it around and uh, use that to her advantage. So it, it's a film that's got this heavy on drama, but it's, it's heavy on action as well. So how would you class and, and sci-fi? So uh, the, a hybrid film, where would you most classify this as a genre? Yeah, it's definitely an action movie. Um, and, but it's an action movie with a lot more substance than, uh, you would have typically. And it's, it's kind of unfortunate that technically this is a direct video action movie. And, you know, we know the reputation of films like that, but this was one that, uh, deserved a, I think it deserved a theatrical release that deserves wow. the cinematic experience. Um, and it's, um, you know, a lot more character driven than a lot of, uh, a lot of action movies you'll find in the modern industry. So, so if you're at home, don't watch this on your iPhone, uh, or your Samsung galaxy, uh, or your laptop for that matter, or your iPad, uh, watch it on the biggest screen possible at home, uh, and, uh, make sure you have good sound. That's your recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say so. Uh, the natural locations, it's filmed. It was filmed a lot of it in Alberta, Canada, and um, you know, after I finished watching it, I made it a point to look up a list of movies that capture nature and you know capture the elements and incorporate that into the story. So I think it's very special when a movie does something so well that it inspires you to seek out other movies with that specific strength or that specific quality. Uh, so very impressed with Prey, and uh, honestly, I'm going to give it a solid A minus for my grade. <laughs> so A minus for prey. Uh, I think Hurricane Catherine was coming through here again and and causing my camera to, to shut down. Uh, we we uh, you can check that out on Hulu, uh, and the film is called Prey and it is part of the Predator franchise. Uh, we do have time to wrap things up uh, with one we've been wanting to talk about for a few weeks. Uh, the film uh, is called The Gray Man, and we talked about 
predators. We've talked about assassins, and uh, we're, we're, I guess we're going right back there again uh, with The Gray Man. This is a film uh, that's released on Netflix, uh, and it's been kind of in you know production purgatory for a while. It was uh, originally announced back in 2011 uh, to be uh, directed, uh, and some of the folks attached to it, Brad Pitt, which we talked about earlier, was attached to this. And then also Charlize Theron was attached, and they were going to change things around like they did um, with Angelina Jolie a few years ago with a film called Salt. Uh, so it, it's been bouncing around. Didn't know if it was ever going to happen. And then, uh, thankfully, the, the Russo brothers, uh, Anthony and Joe, decided to to take this action thriller and bring it to life. And uh, it, it's based uh, on uh, on the previous work, Thomas. Yeah, that's right. Based on a series of novels, and uh, I think there's something like a dozen novels in the series, and this is the first of them. And so this is setting up a franchise for sure. And um, you mentioned the Russo brothers; they what they can do with action. They keep finding unique ways to approach action, um, and what this film does visually. Um, that kind of recontextualizes each action sequence. Um, you know, the opening action set piece, there's fireworks going off at a New Year's party. Um, then there's like, you know, another scene where there's smoke flare filling up a condensed cargo plane with a red haze or, you know, using the reflections from a window of a skyscraper building right next to a runaway trolley going through Midtown Prague. All of this, they, the Russo brothers, introduce something visually to the environment that uh you know kind of makes it to where we're not watching the same you know the same hand-to-hand melee over and over again it's uh so i was really impressed with that from an action standpoint and uh the great man it's such a fascinating film uh and and to me this was while in in some ways it was just another action film in other ways it wasn't it's one that i want to go back and revisit uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, what a great cast on this as well. Ryan Gosling, uh, Chris Evans, Diana DeArmas in this, and also Alfre Woodard and Billy Bob Thornton uh, make their way. And then and, and one of our uh, favorite young talents that we got a chance to spend some time with, uh, Julia Butters, um, in this as well. And she is phenomenal. And I think she's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, Thomas. You know, she stole the show, uh, stole the scene, I should say, from uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, a few years ago and Once Upon a Time uh, in, in Hollywood. And I, I, I tell you, I thought that this was the perfect cast for this kind of film, and, and everything really seemed to click. Uh, it's one of those that I just, you know, I found myself uh, smiling at times, especially uh, at the character played by Chris Evans. And um, he was just, you know, he wasn't Captain America in this film. Let me just say that. <laughs> It really is crazy how much a change in outfit and then a change in haircut can make Chris Evans look like a believable violent sociopath. Like, I'm loving his <laughs> I'm loving his recent career transition to playing just these obnoxious and terrible people after he was, you know, America's Wonder Boy for all those years, Steve Rogers, and it just really goes to show his talent and his range as an actor. Yeah, and, and the film, the budget for this $200 million, and, uh, you know, it, it did have a, a limited box office run, but uh, it's a film that has found success uh, on uh, on Netflix, uh, without a doubt, and uh, I think after, just after its first week, uh, a, a spinoff, a sequel spinoff was already announced, 
Uh, that was like, I think, less than a week uh, after it had been released. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ryan Gosling as the central character, um, you know, emotionally, he seems like a robot on the surface. And he's even called a robot by uh, Julia Butter's character at one point. But there's more to meets the eye. He has this traumatic past. You know, let's just say he didn't have the most loving father, I would say. Uh, you're a slightly better father than his father. Um, but, <laughs> Thank you. But you're welcome. You're welcome. But, you know, the key emotional through line of the narrative is him converting this pain from his early life into becoming a father figure himself for the character of Julia Butters. And uh, I thought that was um, you know, really, really fascinating character dynamic that they were able to weave into the into the narrative there. Absolutely. Uh, the Gray Man, uh, you can find that uh, on Netflix. Uh, Thomas, what is your rating for The Gray Man? I'm going to give a solid B to The Gray Man. Okay. Uh, and I, I am a, a solid B as well. It's uh, well worth your time if you like action films uh, and enjoy uh, just, uh, just sitting back and just holding on and having fun. We're going to wrap things up with a quote of the week, and this does come from The Gray Man, uh, Lloyd Hansen, and I love this. Uh, Mostly it's loss, which teaches us about the worth of things. So until next time, for Thomas Manning and for the entire cast and crew of Meet Me in the Movies, I'm Noel T. Manning II, and that is a wrap.